Good morning and welcome to this June 24th, 2014 edition of Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We are broadcasting to you live from the University of California campus in Irvine. We're streaming on the web at KUCI.org and always available via podcast. I'm your guest host, Marie Stone, in for Claudia Shambaugh, who should be back next week. I am hoping to fill her talented and fantastic shoes for this hour. Every Tuesday morning, Claudia is here with innovative, creative, captivating leaders. And today, our guests are coming right from our own UCI campus and joining me in studio. Somehow, summer always signals warm nights, picnics, bottles of wine, and Shakespeare in the park. So today, to kick off our summer programming, it's all about Shakespeare. We're chatting this morning with this summer's New Swan Theater at UCI's Gateway Commons. My first guests will be Calvin McLean and Julia Lupton, who will take up the production of Romeo and Juliet. Juliet will then join the New Swan Theater's artistic director and director of Twelfth Night, Eli Simon. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a very short break. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My first guests today are Calvin McLean and Julia Lepton. Cal is directing Romeo and Juliet. He's the artistic director of the Clarence Brown Theater in Knoxville, Tennessee. He previously was the artistic director of the Illinois Shakespeare Festival for 11 seasons. His directing credits include King Lear, Romeo and Juliet, King John, Measure for Measure, The Two Gentlemen of Verona, As You Like It, Tom Stoppard's Rosencrantz and Guildenstein Are Dead, uh, John O'Keefe's Wild Oats, and Mari Vu's The Triumph of Love. He has received a prestigious number of awards for his work at Chicago's famous Door Theater Company, the Connecticut Repertory Theater, and a solo theater in Florida, Indiana Repertory, and the University of Illinois. He received his BA and MA at the University of Michigan, his MFA in directing at the University of Massachusetts. Cal, welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me, Marie. Thanks for coming in. Julia Lepton is professor of English at UCI, where she teaches Shakespeare. This very academic year, she completed a Guggenheim Fellowship. Julia, congratulations. Thanks. She is the author of several books and many articles on Shakespeare, including Thinking with Shakespeare, published by the University of Chicago Press in 2011. Julia is also a trustee of the Shakespearean Association of America for this summer's festival. She is organizing and presenting a host of seminars, which we'll chat about. She's also serving as dramaturge for Romeo and Juliet. Professor Lepton completed her PhD at Yale in Renaissance Studies. Both Cal and Julia join me today in Studio A. Welcome to the show, and thanks for coming down here with all the stuff that's going on. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Our pleasure. So let's start with uh, let's start with Cal. So of all the the Shakespeare joints in all the towns in the world, you came you came here. <laughs> of all the gin <laughs> joints in all the towns and all. Uh, well, first of all, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, Eli and I are old friends, and uh, he's directed at uh, Illinois Shakespeare Festival when I was the artistic director there, and that started, I think, our professional uh, association. And um, it's great to be here. Uh, the The festival here is is young, and uh, it's great to be on the ground floor, as it were. Absolutely. It was. Let's talk a little bit about because I know you've put Romeo and Juliet on before. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about because it has to be in the top five plays of Easily. you know that people have seen that, that get produced. That's right. Um, so tell me about your your take on it. 
Well, it's hard to find anything actually new in Romeo and Juliet, and I think everybody tries to describe something that they find that's new in it. There's been so many productions and so many uh, fabulous productions just in the recent years, just in the last, you know, 15, 20, 35 years. Um, uh, what, we're, what I think we're trying to do is to, is to keep very close to the text and keep very close to the, uh, uh, the spirit as much as, as Julia and I can figure that out of Shakespeare's intentions with the play. If there's, uh, it, it's funny, you know, you, you, you begin your career uh, uh, in the theater young, hopefully, um, and as you uh, mature and as you age, you, you find different values and different things in Shakespeare's plays. It's each time that you encounter it, there is some something new that you discover that you didn't know about it before. Um, certainly that's true with Romeo and Juliet. Uh, um, and, and, and my take on Romeo and Juliet, Juliet is now different than when I first produced it 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, my daughter was five years old. I was a new parent. Um, uh, I, I still had the same sense about it that I do now. But now I look at, uh, I look at Juliet, and, and not only do I see my, my daughter, uh, but I see uh, specifically my daughter at, uh, at the age when she's first entering into the world, and that's mm. certainly the case uh, with Juliet in, in this play. Um, because of that, I suppose, uh, I, I, I see this tragedy as, as very much a, a, a failure of the adults in the play. Uh, what we're focusing on in this is in this production is is a uh, uh, a tragedy that befalls the, the the people who are responsible in this this society in this town um, and how they fail their children. Um, you know, when you're young, you're you're beset with all kinds of emotions, all kinds of challenges, all kinds of things that you can't quite figure out, and it's up to adults to help. Uh, young people figure those things out and provide support and provide uh, an, an opportunity for them to fall down and, and hurt themselves, but not necessarily hurt themselves as, as much as this tragedy. What I'm interested in is how that, the fact that that failure has affected the, the responsible people of the play. How does, that, how does that translate onto the stage? What do you tell your actors to bring those things out? Well, you know, as you, as you move through a play and as you speak the words of the text. You're describing and, and uh, enacting action in, in, in that text and in that play. There are things that the characters are trying to accomplish uh, either with or apart from, the, uh, from each other. And um, uh, as you rehearse a play, you are, uh, um, you're, you are framing the actions that you select from the point of view of uh, not only Shakespeare's truth, but also uh, our sense of truth, how that truth translates to uh, the 21st century. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we certainly can't fully understand uh, what goes through the mind of a 14-year-old girl in Verona in, in the 15th century, but uh, I think we can uh, assume that Shakespeare's uh, uh, sense of truth is at least comparable to how we perceive things uh, now and today, and we can 
we can approach Shakespeare's, uh, uh, you know, wonderful humanism and uh, uh, grasp of what it is like to be a human being um, within the context of our own uh, sense of truth. And, and what we're trying to do is, is make that real and honest uh, and at the same time focused along a particular set of lines. And one of the lines that we're focusing on is how how the adults of the play and uh, fail the children and how the children uh, find that failure to leave them in very, very desperate situations. Hmm. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Ask a Leader, and we are in studio today. All of my uh, guests are in studio today, which is a rare treat. Uh, Cal, McC- Cal McLean, who is the director of Romeo and Juliet, uh, and Julia Lepton, who um, who was assisting in that. Julia, I want to give you a chance to talk about what your what appeals to you about this play. What is the enduring um, love that you have of Romeo and Juliet, and and what keeps drawing you back to it? Well, I really came to Romeo and Juliet pretty late um, in the last five or six years. Romeo and Juliet actually doesn't get the critical attention that I think it deserves in scholarship. It's often seen as a young person's play. It's taught in in high school and sometimes in middle school. And it doesn't have the double plots that some of the other plays have that give them a kind of more layered complexity. And so it's been really incredibly exciting for me to get to work with this play with Cal, uh, to get to see the actors working with the play and also to teach the play both in the community and here at UCI. So we'll have a summer school Shakespeare class running parallel with the festival, which will allow undergraduates to really have the best of both worlds, to really get to study this and Twelfth Night and another play in real detail as a scholarly activity, and then also get to see it performed at this incredibly dynamic, intimate space of the New Swan uh, with the directing and the acting that we have here going on. I agree with Cal that one of the great things about the play is um, that it's continued reality emotionally. I've got four teenagers, <laughs> three girls and a boy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just, I, I do read the play now with that same mm. kind of pathos. Sure. You know, what if one of my kids felt they couldn't come to me? Mm-hmm. What if they thought I would judge their choice right. in a way that I would, that I might viscerally but I would come around, I would work with them with whatever issue they got into, whatever desire they had, whatever transformation and leap they wanted to make, you know, that we would want to be there for the kids. And Romeo and Juliet don't feel that way. Um, They don't have that support. We have that amazing scene early on where the mother is trying to have the talk, you know, about sex and marriage with her daughter, and she can't even do it without having the nurse present because the nurse is the one who has shared all the intimacy and done all of the mentoring and education in life that the mother, for whatever reasons, hasn't been there to do. As a working mother, I feel pathos there. You know, am I there enough? Is their nurse the internet? <laughs> is their nurse Instagram? You know, do they know that I actually have a lot of knowledge about, you know, contraception. And are they <laughs> willing to talk to you? <laughs> are they willing to talk to me? So, I, you know, I feel very much that parents' pathos. But as a teacher of undergraduates, I also 
love accessing the young people's point of view and getting kids, I say, is we teach out of our seats here at UCI. You got to get up in front of the room. You got to bring your book. You got to shout these lines. You got to figure out what's going on here emotionally and um, in terms of the imagery. And, and that's very exciting for undergraduates. And one of the things I've learned from Cal, which I absolutely love, is he'll criticize an actor occasionally for sounding too Shakespearean. And then he'll work with the actor to figure out what is the, what's really going on here in a way that, that we continue to connect to today. And I try to do that with my students too. And I think it's, it really opens it up for them because they think Shakespeare is boring, is hard, is old, can't possibly connect to their lives. And what I think we try to do both in the classroom and in the theater is to show how incredibly fresh and real this work still is for their generation as well as for ours. I love this notion of it opening up a dialogue between parents and children. And, and I don't know if you bring that out in the play, that maybe this is an opportunity for people in the audience to start a dialogue about you know, their I, parenting relationship. I think, it, and I hope, uh, it will come to mind that the, uh, uh, that the play is an opportunity to really understand that our obligations to our children are, uh, are, are both mysterious and very deep and very immediate. We, we, we have to take the bull by the horns, as it were, and, uh, um, and somehow uh, uh, reach our kids and, and uh, make sure that our children are protected. Um, you know, it's, Shakespeare is its own kind of experience. It's uh, a, a really good production of Shakespeare is neither boring uh, nor uh, irrelevant. Uh, there, he is, he is such a, a, a master humanist. He is such a master psychologist. His, his understanding of, of what it like, what it is like to feel like a 14 year old or 15 year old or 16 year old, or what it is like to feel like a king, uh, uh, at the end of one's life is unparalleled. It, it, and it communicates, um, in a good production um, you know, it kind of doesn't matter what it was, what it, what we think the productions were like back in the 16th century. Uh, the important thing is, is that they're here now, and uh, we are performing them on this particular stage. And uh, Shakespeare's incredible insight into the human condition and our need for that insight is just the same as it is now as it was in the in the 16th and the 17th centuries. And, and they still play. They still reach you. They still can move you. They still make you laugh. Uh, and ultimately, I think they still instruct you. Right, right. So let's talk about this stage. What makes this stage unique? What? Um, oh, it's I, I, great. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, the last production of Romeo and Juliet that I did was in a 500-seat uh, house. And... Um, most of the productions of Shakespeare that I have done have been in large houses. This is, this is a, a, a small little jewel box theater mm -hmm. with uh, the audience uh, right on top of the action. Um, so, you know, we get to do the balcony scene on a whisper um, because everybody is quite close. Um, it, 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 it causes me as a director to rethink how things are done so that I can keep the sense of intimacy that the space demands. 
Um, but it also allows me to sort of explore the play in a different way than I, I would have or I did in a larger house that's, that sort of uh, suggests uh, a larger world. This is, a, a, this is an intimate space, and because of that, we really get to uh, uh, sort of enact the intimate action. Very nice. I always wonder if there's anything unique to having theater outdoors, you know, where... Um, Al dente. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Al fresco. Al fresco, Al fresco. I mean, yes, you're right. right. Al dente is, is pasta. the pasta. the pasta. <laughs> Al fresco, thank you. I love, you know, it kind of brings the natural world in. I mean, dogs bark and babies cry and mm-hmm. airplanes go over and, you know, there's rain. I, don't I understand know. we're shooting down airplanes from... <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we'll be having drones patrolling. That's right. <laughs> right. But of that course, Shakespeare's the, uh, original like theaters were, were outdoors. Open air. I mean, yeah, some were. of the plays were performed indoors in, in court situations, in private homes. And ultimately, he had a private theater that was indoors. But mm-hmm. the, the, he was really shaped by theaters like the New Swan. And that's part of the, the vision for Eli. I think is to have a space that really brings in some of the affordances and opportunities of those original theaters and to make those active for the actors and for the audience in ways that really do bring us uh, closer to Shakespeare's time. Yeah, I love that. When I ran the Shakespeare Festival in Illinois, um, Mm -hmm. I remember there was a production of, um, I think it was... uh, uh, the Merry Wives of Windsor, and uh, in the in the final scene in which uh, they're out in the forest of something, and uh, and uh, John Falstaff is traipsing around as a as a deer, um, this very light drizzle wasn't a rain. It was a bare. It was like a cloud moved uh, onto the theater and made everything shine uh, with, this, uh, with this moisture. And it truly was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, um, uh, to have that scene played in, in that. Uh, and then there are other stories that are not quite so, <laughs> in which the weather was not quite so cooperative. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? When something crazy happens, are, are, are there protocols in place for what you do? Well, you know, uh, California uh, doesn't have quite the, uh, the, 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 uh, the weather problems that Illinois did, but I, I do remember one time in Illinois when there was a thunder, uh, there was a cloudburst, and it really rained in torrents, and uh, this was a production of Julius Caesar, and it happened to be that Julius Caesar was, it was the, the big, you know, scene in which every, the funeral oration over Caesar's body and Caesar was in a coffin and uh, the artistic director stopped the production after you know just moments into this cloudburst of course everybody was scattering for the hills uh, but uh, the the actor who's playing Caesar got up out of the the uh, the the coffin that he was in because the uh, water had gotten up to his nose and he was afraid he was going to drown. And somebody from the audience yelled at that moment, great Caesar's ghost. And uh, so there were wonderful, uh, wonderful stories like that that happened uh, because of uh, al fresco productions of Shakespeare. It's, it's, 
in some ways, the way to see Shakespeare is outdoors, under the stars, with, uh, uh, with whatever noises you have to cope with. Interactive Shakespeare. You bet. Makes it new every time. You bet. Right? You bet. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Ask a Leader. We are in studio with Calvin McLean and Julia Lepton talking about their production of Romeo and Juliet. We should tell people, we're going to plug the show quite a bit, so we should tell the people um, it starts on July 10th and it... Uh, Eli, maybe you can jump in here, and, t- and we'll uh, we'll keep doing this throughout the um, we'll keep doing this throughout the hour, so people know where to get tickets, when to get tickets, when they can see this. Uh, go ahead; it starts July tenth. Okay, thank you. Uh, yes, we are opening on July tenth with Romeo and Juliet, and Twelfth Night opens on July eleventh, and we are running in what we call rotating rep, which means that the shows alternate every other night. And we close, we run all the way from July 10th through our closing on August 30th with Twelfth Night. Wonderful. I'm going to introduce Eli in the second half hour, and we're going to uh, delve into Twelfth Night. So, so don't, uh, don't feel like you're getting short shrift on Eli because he'll be, <laughs> he'll be joining I'll us. I'll be back. He'll be back. Um, I also want to talk about uh, the collaborative nature of, of Shakespeare, whether whether Cal, you take a collaborative approach and talk to the actors. You don't have the writer to deal with mm-hmm. because he's no, <laughs> no. Although, although he is uh, ever present in my imagination, yelling at me and asking me to do things differently. Well, that was going to be my question: is if he w- if he was available, if Shakespeare was around, what you would want to talk to him about? Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the the list would be endless. Uh, one of the first things I would like to talk to him about is his notion of love, um, its purpose, and uh, uh, why on earth we are uh, vulnerable and um, both with emotions of joy and emotions of misery to this, this, uh, this condition. Um, uh, it, it, it threads through every, uh, every one of his plays in one form or another is is this whole notion of love and uh how it how it affects you and how it immobilizes you and how it energizes you and how it uh, gives you pain and gives you joy it's it's it it's as if many of his plays uh you know the histories may be about leadership but most of the rest of his plays are about it seems to me one of the aspects that it's about is about what we learn because we, as a species, love. And uh, I would like to have a long philosophical discussion with him about that um, because he explores it so extensively and has such a, such a, a, a fascinating and multifaceted idea about it. Um, you know, there's plenty of things to to imagine uh, about Shakespeare um, because his life was so um, mysterious to us. We, we just have a few uh, real facts to go on and because he was so important uh, in literature to defining what it is to be human, I think, uh, that we, all of us who encounter Shakespeare uh, in the theater in one way or another have an image about him and uh, about what sort of man he was. Um, uh, and, you know, there are movies about that as well. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's, a, 
you're right, though, Marie. There is a there's a collaborative nature in the theater, and it begins with an artist, whether that's a director in my case, but more importantly, an actor um, having to encounter that uh, playwright and and make that playwright's uh, insights and make that those that playwright's words uh, his or her own. Um, and uh, he is such a master poet. He is such a master at not only uh, bringing uh, forward insights into the human condition, but doing so in this sort of beautiful way, in this, this astonishingly clear and precise way uh, that you want to be able to speak that text with the same sort of honor and that same sort of precision and uh, 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 that is a collaborative act in and of itself just learning to speak the text um, in a way that makes the beauty of the language really come forward uh, but you know uh, likewise we I am I am certainly collaborating with the actors but I'm also collaborating with designers uh, to sculpt moments um, uh, both in light and in sound to sort of augment the, the, the beauty of the text and the beauty of the action in the text. Um, uh, it's, it's one of the things about the theater that is so uh, uh, thrilling to be a part of is that you, you, you first and foremost, it is a collaborative art. And uh, uh, whereas as a director, I can describe a vision, ultimately the, uh, the work that we do is, is a uh, 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 more than the sum of its parts. Right. Now, having done this play so many times, and you said your vision of it changes with each mm -hmm. pass through, yeah. Yeah. and it sounds like this latest pass through is um, freshly imagined, maybe in your mm -hmm. own imagination. Mm -hmm. Tell me what was learned by you in this pass through, what surprised you? What came out of this production? Mm. Well, that, that's a great question. That hadn't come out before. Um, well, I am continually uh, surprised by the wisdom of Juliet. Um, I, I suppose the thing that really uh, arrests me as I watch the young actress uh, rehearse Juliet is. Uh, how deeply clear she is about certain things, instinctually clear. Um, how how uh, how sh how she is perceived by others. How sh how that is different from how she perceives herself. How she needs to be strong in the face of weakness uh, by others, whether it's. Uh, a lack of clarity on Romeo's part or a lack of sincerity on her mother's part or a lack of uh, in, uh, wisdom on the nurse's part. She has to rely on her own instincts and her own sense of, of uh, uh, truth and her own sense of who she is. Um, that, that wisdom, um, a kind of a child's wisdom, beyond her years and certainly beyond the adults that surround her uh, is, you know, quite powerful 
and much more powerfully perceived now that my own daughter is 20 years old mm -hmm. uh, than uh, I had uh, perceived the last time that I worked on the play, which was, you know, when my daughter was five. <laughs> um, it, it, that also my own uh, relationship with my daughter. Um, Shakespeare, you know, had two daughters and he had a son that died young. We know that. I believe that was right. Mm -hmm. Two daughters, right? And both Judith and I can't remember. Susanna. Susanna were so important to him. And all through the plays, you can, you sense the presence of uh, a father's relationship with a daughter. And, uh, and those of us who have daughters, and I know Eli has one as well, um, uh, those of us fathers who have daughters know that uh, that relationship is profound and uh, fraught with difficulty and also fraught with a lot of joy. And, uh, and to see this young woman uh, have to cope with what she has to cope with on her own and make the decisions that she makes on her own is uh, is truly powerful, uh, and one of the things that I I think I have I encounter differently now than I did 15 years ago. Your love of this is so palpable. Mm. I love it. You Good. Know, you're getting me so excited. <laughs> I'm not a Shakespeare enthusiast, but I'm mm -hmm. I'm quickly becoming one. <laughs> well, yeah, come see these shows, and I will. Uh, and I will. and your your view will change. I will. My view is changing as we're sitting here. Excellent. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm riveted. Right. So let's go over the dates and times one more time. Eli, if you don't mind doing that, let's go over the dates and times one more time so people know. Okay, my pleasure, Marie. Uh, we open on July 10th with Romeo and Juliet. We open on July 11th with Twelfth Night, and the plays run every other night through the summer, uh, winding up with Twelfth Night on August 30th. Fantastic. Last year's production sold out, I want to let people know. So if you, uh, if you are interested, sooner is better than later. And I think all the details are on the web at arts.uci.edu.newswan. Just look it up. <laughs> You'll never remember that URL. So just, uh, just Google search uh, the New Swan Theater Productions. You'll find it there. Uh, Cal, I hope you can stay with us for the second half hour, sure. but we're going to take a very short break. That was Calvin McLean, the UCI and UCI professor and Shakespeare scholar Julia Lepton. Hopefully everybody's staying with us. Uh, we've been talking about the new Swan Productions, Romeo and Juliet, and the accompanying seminars. Hopefully we can get into that a little bit more in the second half hour. Stay tuned. Eli Simon will be right back talking about Twelfth Night, so please do not go away. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My next guest is Eli Simpson, who is joined still by Julia and Cal, who remain with us in Studio A. Eli is a uh, artistic director for the New Swan Theater and director of this summer's production of Twelfth Night. Eli is, 
directed productions across the country and overseas, specializing in the development of original clown shows, comedias, America classics, Shakespeare, and musicals. He received his B.A. in drama from UC Davis and an M.F.A. in acting from Brandeis. He was a visiting professor in acting at UC Davis before joining the faculty at UCI about 20 years ago. His current courses include some scene study, auditioning technique, mask acting, comedy, and of course clowning. Eli's published work includes The Art of Clowning and Masking Unmasked, Four Basic Approaches to Acting. He returns to talk about his direction of Twelfth Night today. Eli, hi. Well, thank you for having us, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here. It is a huge pleasure to have you on. I'm going to work on my um, articulation and speaking this morning, so we'll be doing that for the (laughs) second half hour. All right, so let's start with you uh, talking about your attraction to Twelfth Night, what what it is about this play that gets your blood boiling as much as Romeo and Juliet got it going for Cal. I have to say that Twelfth Night is my favorite play in the Shakespearean canon, and it's just a delight to be working on it. For me, again, this is my second time through it. Like Cal had directed Romeo and Juliet before I had the opportunity to direct Twelfth Night. I guess it was about 14 years ago. And uh, just having a wonderful time going through it again. It's a tremendous play. You know, it's not as well known, I don't think, to to audiences as Romeo and Juliet is. So, so give us kind of the broad, the broad strokes of it for, uh, for people who are not as familiar with it. Well, it's uh, uh, quite a bit more tangled in plot than Romeo and Juliet, as Julia alluded to. In Twelfth Night, you really have a very romantic strain at the heart of the play, and you have an identity issue as well. So you have the classic female actress, leading actress, dressing up as her lost brother and pretending to be him and serving a duke who is in love with another woman that this uh, actress, this who is really an actress pretending to be her brother, has to woo. She falls in love with the duke and the woman that she's wooing uh, falls in love with her, thinking that she's a man. So it's a real tangled web there. And then, in addition, you have a kind of comic strain, or what are called the lighter people, who uh, are uh, embroiled in uh, a lot of uh, hijinks and uh, spirited fun with each other. That includes the gulling of the steward that they all despise and hate, Malvolio, uh, and that's one of the treasured roles in, uh, in all of Shakespeare. So there's two plots going along. They interweave, and all of this is bound by themes of profound love and romance, revenge, identity, and the true nature of life. Sexual identity and, uh, you know, gender uh, confusion, that must have been pretty forward thinking for those for that time period was it or is the, was he kind of ahead of his time in, in exploring these things? well there were a lot of uh, a lot of playwrights that were dealing with sexual identity and confusion at the time Shakespeare of course took it to a whole nother level and uh, Julia might want to pipe in a little bit about that in terms of 
the what we call the pants rolls. A lot, you had a lot of women uh, dressing up like men, like Rosalind in As You Like It, and certainly Viola in our play, uh, dressing up as her brother Cesario. Uh, it it opens up a wealth of possibilities not just in terms of sheer fun because it really is fun as we know and there are a lot of plays and musicals now in which men are dressing up as women and women as men but in those guises a woman for example dressing up as a man can find out about love from the perspective of a man so if a woman is wooing this man that the woman is pretending to be, she learns things perhaps that she would not normally be privy to in her uh, normal appearance as a woman. Th- these are really, uh, and Shakespeare really minds this. So he doesn't leave Twelfth Night as a silly uh, romp. In any in any means, uh, and he could have. I mean, it's fun enough just having the identity shift, but it's what happens to these characters as they're shifting identities and becoming other people that makes it really profound and really deep. That's part of what I love about the play. It's fantastic, Julia. Do you want to jump in and chat well, about just it? to remind uh, listeners that? In Shakespeare's periods, all of those female roles would have been played by young men. And so the... So to start with, you've got... (laughs) That's a good reminder, Julie. To start with, you have men playing women and dressing up as men. (laughs) So it's it's really quite wonderful. There's a lot of irony and fun there. But in a sense, the boys are being allowed to play themselves again but through this doubled layer of being the girl. So right, and it was usually boys, wasn't it? Playing, it was young boys, probably women. right now, scholars believe, around ages 14 to 19. So they didn't really have necessarily the uh, pitch change in their voice, which is interesting, and is also mentioned by Olivia in this, uh, I'm sorry, by Orsino, who's talking about Viola in this play. Fantastic. Julia, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about these seminars that accompany the plays and what goes on in those seminars, who they're available to. Uh, sure. Well, the seminars are free and open to the public, so you don't need to have a ticket to the play that night or indeed any night. So let's say you want to see Twelfth Night on Thursday, but you want to catch a Romeo and Juliet seminar on Saturday, you can do that. And we have seminars every Saturday performance and some other performances as well. And some of these feature local Shakespeare scholars, both at UCI and at neighboring universities. And we also do have an evening with the two leading ladies who will talk about playing viola and Juliet. And we have an evening with the composer of the music, which Eli hasn't spoken about yet. But Twelfth Night uh, has a silent movie theme. And you want to say a little bit about the music and the theme? Well, sure. We're setting this play in the Roaring Twenties. So we have a silent film era or just entering the talkies film era setting. And I knew going in that live music is very special in this intimate 125-seat theater. So I turned to my great colleague, Alan Tricciano, who lives just a couple streets away in University Hills and has actually composed the music for my production at Illinois Shakespeare Festival when I was directing there uh, with Cal McLean. And I asked Alan if he would write an original ragtime piano score for the show, and he 
I think he took about half a second before he said, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I want to do this summer. So he's written some delicious music. We have a tremendous piano player uh, playing these uh, songs that he wrote live. And uh, a lot of really fun period dancing going on and uh, otherwise uh, roaring 20s period touches, flourishes throughout the show. Was that clear to you from the beginning that, that the Roaring Twenties would be a really great way to explore this play? Well, it came to me in reading the play. I had initially set it in a more traditional place, uh, kind of a Buccaneers-style uh, Twelfth Night, which works really well with the swords and, and, uh, and the, uh, the, the idea of a shipwreck in, in a mysterious land. Uh, but as I read the play again, and as Cal alluded to, when you one of the wonderful aspects of Shakespeare is that you read these plays throughout your life, and uh, as you when you reread them, depending on where you are in your life, they take on different textures and different colors, different meanings, and you interpret them in different ways. As I was reading it this time through, it seemed to me that all all of the characters in the play were 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 acting they were p- pretending to be who they weren't and i talked about how viola dresses up as her brother but you've also got this count who sort of convinced himself that he's in love with this this beautiful woman and uh he seems to have a lot of power and he seems to be kind of a a drama king as much as the woman he's in love with olivia is a drama queen that's the way i saw her and I began to imagine him as the head of a studio in Hollywood. Uh, and Orson Welles came to mind, which was interesting because his name is Orsino. And that really triggered the idea of uh, taking prototypes from this period and using them uh, to, uh, to fill this particular vision of the play. Obviously, you can set a play anywhere you want. That's really the one thing a director has discretion over. But uh, as I started to think through this, I, I always play devil's advocate with myself and say, well, now, 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 is this really, really going to work? Uh, let's, let's look at this from both sides. But mm-hmm. as I examined it, it seemed like all of the characters dropped perfectly into this world so that uh, we have two comic characters, Sir Toby and uh, Sir Andrew, who just seem exactly like Laurel and Hardy to me. And uh, we've gone about costuming them in this way. And our fool, who's really a, quite a wise fool and somewhat of a sad fool as well in uh, this, the uh, tradition of those types of witty fools, mm-hmm. seem to me very much like uh, Buster Keaton character. And, uh, well, we've kind of mixed him with Buster Keaton and, and Eddie Cantor. So he's got an old kind of uh, vaudevillian feel to him. All the way down the play, we've uh, looked very carefully at the film stars of the times, uh, of that time, and uh, figured out how this play situates there. Uh, it seems to be working pretty delightfully so far. And uh, we have high hopes that our audiences will enjoy it. Fantastic. For those of you just tuning in, you are listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guests are UCI Eli Simon, director of UCI's School of the Arts Drama Department, talking along with his humanities colleague Julia Lepton and his directing this summer's production of Twelfth Night 
as the artistic director of uh, UCI's New Swan Theater. Um, so talk a little bit about the uh, the Mozart program and fundraiser on August 18th. Uh, I think that kind of got lost in all of the information. So tell us what's going on that night. Well, I'm delighted to do that. Thank you uh, for mentioning that. This is a one-time event that's very, very special. It's the first time that we're going to uh, feature classical musicians in the New Swan Theater. And uh, these are uh, L.A. Philharmonic players. So you know it's going to be really high-quality playing. Uh, and uh, it, it's uh, on August 18th. We're calling it Mozart Monday. It's an evening of chamber music in, in the New Swan Shakespeare Theater. Uh, it also features my brother, Ben Simon, who's a world-class violist and is the maestro of the San Francisco Chamber Orchestra. So uh, tickets are selling quickly for this. It's one night only, and if people are interested, I recommend that they uh, purchase tickets for that and for our Shakespeare shows as soon as possible. Fantastic. Are there any picnic updates or restaurant bonuses for this new Swan production? I know there were, you were working on a project with Claudia to try and get more. Well, Claudia, um, Claudia is really intent on getting everyone to bring their picnic down to Aldridge Park and having a little dinner, a little bite before the show. This is something that really happened beautifully at Illinois Shakespeare Festival on that gorgeous lawn outside the theater there. And we, I keep that image in mind as we move forward with our festival that we will create a tradition of having dinners outside in the park. Uh, right now, we don't have any catering set up for this, but we're working on that. And I know that Claudia and others come down with tables and candles and <laughs> wine and uh, have a delightful dinner in the park. Everyone's welcome to do that. If you want to bring your baskets up to uh, house management before you go in, we'll watch your baskets for you. Oh, nice. I love that. So if uh, uh, we were talking in the first half hour, if, if the bard were sitting in the room with us, what you would like to chat with him about? Are there, th are there things that come to mind that, um, especially as you were doing this play, this version around, they, th that would uh, generate conversation with him? Well, if I had a chance, <laughs> this is a really great question, by the way. If I had a chance to chat with the bard, I, I'm not sure that I would ask him about anything in particular, but I think I would just love hanging out with him and maybe drinking some beer and just chatting about whatever the heck came up. Um, I What fascinates me about William Shakespeare is that he's really the only playwright that you can think of that wrote great histories, tragedies, and comedies. I mean, we have great playwrights in any one of those genres, but not really in two, let alone in three. And then he'll weave them. So, for example, Twelfth Night is, a, is really a tremendous romance at heart, but it's a rollicking comedy as well. And yet it has some very, very profound and sad strains in it. One of the reasons that I love it uh, is that the comedy is counterbalanced by some uh, deep, deeply significant moments. Um, I'd like to talk with him about that, about how he sees the world and how the world uh, is balanced both by, uh, by comedy and tragedy, if you will, and, uh, and, and how, that, how those elements work together in his mind. Was there something that came out of working with this group of actors this time on this stage that revealed something new to you about Twelfth Night 
that hadn't been revealed to you before? Yes, I am astonished at how well written this play is. And when you read it, when you sit and read it, you 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 enjoy it, right, Julia? I mean, the just it's such a deliciously written work, as is Romeo and Juliet as well. Uh, there's something about taking a play and making it three-dimensional that is always a profound delight. And when we work on the clarity of the lines and we work on the clarity of the actions, the play comes to life in ways that you could not possibly imagine. So when I work on a script, I, I may read it a hundred times. Seriously. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not really happy about that. I'd probably like Cal much rather be reading a lot of other books and novels and things, but we tend to read plays over and over and over again. And I think then we get to a point where we just say, okay, that's it. I don't know how I could come up with any more. Or I'm just going to have to get in the rehearsal hall with the actors and see what happens. I mean, we're very fortunate here at UC Irvine because we have very, very talented actors around us. And we have a cadre of alums that come in to, to work with our, uh, our student actors. Uh, we're one of the top ten graduate training programs in acting in the country and it's worth noting that because that gives us a base of really strong actors to draw from and we have some professionals coming in so we have a lot of talent around us all the time Uh, then we kind of get in the space and we see what happens and make discoveries as we go and hopefully everything comes together in a beautiful way Uh, so far I think that is happening with both shows in both rehearsal halls. Mm. Julia, you've made it your life to study Shakespeare. Uh, what, yeah, maybe kind of the same question. What would you, what would you love to talk to him about if he, if he were here? I guess what has increasingly been surprising me about Shakespeare in the last maybe five to ten years is the strength and resilience and intelligence of the female characters. Mm -hmm. And Cal alluded to this, you know, that Juliet is a, I mean, she's on the cover of most of the editions, and I think she has more lines than Romeo, and she has the best poetry in the play. And yet she was created by a man in a period of history that we think of as being pretty patriarchal, pretty limiting in terms of women couldn't be on the stage, Many women weren't allowed to learn, didn't have the opportunity to learn how to read and write. Um, so, how, you know, how does, how did he have the vision, the psychological insight, um, the courage to imagine these very entrepreneurial, autonomous, yet sensitive Wise. Women, wise women. And we Very see it wise with, women. With Viola as well. And Olivia, Olivia too. Juliet, Juliet, Lady Macbeth, Rosalind. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, the late plays, Miranda. Right. In, in and women are much more fascinating than men anyway. Well. So, <laughs> isn't that true? I mean, isn't that right? I mean, right? right? Women are much deeper. I think he knew that, Julia. I mean, you know, guys <laughs> well, are after knew, single things. You know, he power, knew something. Uh, and how did he? I, I just, just kind of a miracle to me. And I, yeah. I do get upset when I, when I read accounts of Shakespeare as a sexist because. 
But you you're, know, everyone way, was a sexist then. Right. You're in a way saying exactly what Cal said, which is, we want to find out how did he step into other people's shoes and see the world from their perspective, whether old or young, male or female, uh, even from all different cultures, different cultures. And countries. It's incredible. He, Merchant he of was Venice, you did. an amazing humanist. Yeah. And I mean, even with Merchant of Venice, he really got deep down into Shylock's shoes. Absolutely. And uh, that, I think, is what makes him a remarkable playwright. Each, uh, each role, as you're acting it, has a particular point of view and a really deep point of view that you can, you can mine, you can look for it, and it's there if you look for it. You guys make me so excited about uh, about all this. You know, your your enthusiasm for it is, like I said, it's palpable and visceral, and it's uh, it was so great to have all of you on. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, yeah. Eli. I'm going to give you one more chance to uh, to plug where we can do all of this, and we should do it quickly because, okay, as I'll remind people, it sold out last year. So, well, if you Google uh, UCI Arts Ticks. T-I-X, you'll get right to the website and then just follow the prompts to the New Swan Shakespeare Festival. Uh, we're uh, selling tickets to Romeo and Juliet and Twelfth Night. Uh, they're selling well, so uh, everything is assigned seating this year. As Last year it was general, so you can choose your seats. I want to remind everyone that the side seats are really fabulous. There isn't a bad seat in the house. I'm noticing the trend for the center seats to sell first, but the side seats are fabulous. And also, uh, we have the Mozart Monday on August 18th. We have a children's show on several Sundays, rogue theater artists who are really wonderful. Uh, tickets are, are uh, on sale for that as well. And then we have our free seminar series with Julia Lupton, and it's one of the truly incredible things that we can do here at UC Irvine is to uh, create a partnership between the New Swan Shakespeare Festival and humanities and Julia Lupton, who's a world-famous uh, uh, Shakespearean scholar. So come to the seminars, come to the shows. We'd love to see you out there. Thanks so much. Eli Simon, Twelfth Night, Julia Lupton, and Calvin McLean. Thanks so much, you guys, for coming Thank on. You. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Speaking of drama, I have this one announcement before we go. The documentary Citizen Coke was being funded by a public TV station in New York State when the Koch brothers became aware of that. They threatened to withdraw their substantial financial support unless the TV station stopped financing the documentary and promised not to show it on air. When the documentary producers lost the financing from the public TV station, they turned to crowdfunding to complete the production. Your opportunity to see this film is at South Coast Village Theater on Sunflower in Costa Mesa. Screening times are on Friday, June 27th. Uh, there are five screenings that day, but check out that day for exact times and listings. That's your one opportunity to see that. That's all the time we have for today on Ask a Leader. Next week, Claudia will be back talking about California Disclosure Act, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. She's going to be talking about that. If those sound new or foreign to you, that will be an um, important show not to miss. Claudia will be back here with you next week. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. Déshabillez-moi Déshabillez-moi Oui mais pas tout de suite Pas trop vite Sachez me qu'on